survey was carried out about 12 months ago in September 2022. In this survey, more than 2,000 Christians in the UK were contacted and they were asked some questions. One of the questions was this, how familiar are you with the Great Commission? Hmm. How familiar are you with the Great Commission? The result was, I'm not sure if it's surprising, shocking, what was expected. The result was that of those who, were, who said they were active Christians, more than 40% of them said that they were not at all familiar with the Great Commission. Is that a surprise? Is that not a surprise? So the Great Commission, the question is, what is it? I went to Google. So often the source of all knowledge, isn't it, nowadays? And I typed in the Great Commission. Obviously, it's slightly skewed because of my search record. And uh, I came up with 1.2 billion results. That's a lot. The first entry was from Bible Gateway, where it goes straight to the passage that was read to us. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And then the second one was a definition which was taken from Wikipedia, that incredible online free encyclopedia. And this is what it says. And it's pretty good. It says this, In Christianity, the Great Commission is the instruction of the resurrected Jesus Christ to his disciples to spread the gospel to all the nations of the world. The Great Commission is outlined in Matthew 28, 16-20, where on a mountain in Galilee, Jesus calls on his followers to make disciples of and baptize all nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good definition, isn't it? But did you know that the phrase, the Great Commission, is not there in Scripture? It doesn't appear anywhere. But it does appear as a subheader. I'm not sure, was it a subheader in the... No, it wasn't, no. Not in that version. It is in mine. I've, I've got the, the NIV. But in, in several others, it is, it's there. So where did the phrase come from? The Great Commission. I'm going to put up the text again. This is the NIV version, so apologies. There doesn't seem to be a definitive answer. Nobody really knows. It came up with loads of different possibilities. But here are two of them. William Carey. Now, for good Baptist, that's a really good guy. He was the guy. He's a cobbler from Northampton. And what he did, he went to India. He spent his life in India reaching out to people. He founded BMS, Baptist Missionary Society. Now, of course, was it the BMS World Mission, isn't it? That was way back in 1792. And he certainly declared that all followers of Jesus must have a vision for world mission. He wrote a thing called an inquiry. He looked at all the countries of the world to see where they were as far as Christianity was concerned. Others suggest Hudson Taylor. Now, those who know anything about mission, he's another incredible guy. He spent 54 years in China. And he took 800 workers to China 
Look for quotes from Hudson Taylor, and one of the, one of the best quotes is, which is attributed to him is this. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but is a command to be obeyed. Let's say that again. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered, but it is a command to be obeyed. But did you know that there's apparently no evidence that he ever said it? That's a shame. But it doesn't stop it from being true. Somebody said it, even if it wasn't Hudson Taylor. But Hudson Taylor certainly dedicated his life to it. And it is a great quote, isn't it? A bit of personal story. When I was a student many years ago now, too long ago to remember, a friend of mine took me to a UCCF training day. That's a Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship. He can't remember it. For me, it was a day that changed my life. There was one speaker that I can remember. A guy by the name of Martin Goldsmith. Some of you may have heard of him. He's an international speaker. He's a missiologist. He himself was a, or is a, Jewish Christian. Messianic Jew. And I can still, to this day, remember Martin sitting on the edge of a desk swinging his legs backwards and forwards, <laughs> sharing what God was doing in the world. And it was that day that God lit a passion for mission in my heart. I'd wanted to go to university and I wanted to be a student, but God had other ideas. He held on to me. He is, God is at work in the world. He always has been. And until the very end of the age, as it says in our text, he always will be. He is, though. He uses people like us. He's got no other plan. And he calls us to go and to make disciples of all nations. We're going to have a look, just for a few minutes, at these, at these few verses. Matthew's got Start of verse 16, the opening bit of it. Jesus has been crucified and has risen. And about two weeks after the resurrection, we find the 11 disciples in Galilee. That's so in the text. We're at an unspecified location. It's in a mountain, that's as much as we know, but we don't know which one, where Jesus had told them to go. Got your Bibles open with me? Look back to verse 7. And it says that the angel who had appeared to the two Marys had told them, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. The text tells us in verse 17 that that's what happened. They do just that. They see Jesus. And in response, these disciples worship Jesus, it says, which probably means that they fell down on their knees. They knelt before him. They might even have fallen on their faces in front of him. It's not all of them, because the text tells us that some doubted. One of those who doubted was Thomas, known forever as Doubting Thomas, from John 20. The text then says these words, and these are the words we've got on the screen. Then Jesus came to them. He moved towards them. Jesus actually physically approached. And then he spoke these words to the disciples, the words of Jesus. Therefore, 
it will go back. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded fully. And it said in the few Bibles, and remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Watch how they felt. These, if you take those words out of context, it's madness. One writer called it one of the most lunatic commands of all time. Until we look at the statement and the promise, and then it stops you in your track. It starts with Jesus claiming that he has got all authority. All authority, not some. All authority. His death, his burial, his resurrection broke the power of sin and death once and for all, forever, in the lives of all who would believe on his name. And as a result of that, God gave him all authority in heaven and on earth. That's pretty wow, isn't it? That's pretty wow. And in the Great Commission, Jesus passes that authority on to us, to his disciples. We now have this authority given to us by Jesus. On the Bible Gateway site, there are more than 60 English translations of Scripture. And you can see all the translations of any verse. Look up Matthew 28, 19, which I did, and most include the word, therefore. So it's because Jesus has been given that authority that he sends us. Because he's got authority. For that reason, Jesus tells us to go. They're not just words he speaks randomly. He speaks them with that authority behind him. Tell you what, that should give us boldness. That should give us confidence. And we know that stuff is going to be fulfilled through us. Reminder that God is at work. Let's look at that first phrase, the discipleship bit first. Make disciples. Go and make disciples. We often get it wrong, I think, because we often think that the, the most important thing is for someone to make a profession of faith. Jesus is Lord. Tick. Salvation done. Tick. Job done. But the text does not say go and make Christians. It doesn't say go and make Christians. It's important. Sad truth is often a profession of faith is not followed by any deep discipleship or involvement in the church. We've all seen it. People come into the church, they become Christians, they carry on, they go out of that. My sister went forward as a Mission England, Billy Graham Crusade. That's a word we can't use anymore, isn't it? Crusade. And she was discipled by a lady from Cardiff, a lady by the name of Marion, who took her follow-up, her discipleship role, very, very seriously. What happened that evening in Bristol was just the beginning for my sister. Following conversion, following a profession of faith, 
that's just the beginning of the lifetime of learning to grasp all the commands of Jesus. We're all works in progress, however long we've been a Christian. It is to make a disciple is to bring someone to learn from Jesus as their teacher. Jesus made his disciples by sharing his life with them. A disciple does not travel alone. A disciple does not travel only in the company of God. There's a great crowd of fellow travelers. Look at Hebrews. They're from the past. They're from the present. They're seen. They're unseen. They're near. They're far. And it's to make disciples of all nations. The disciples, they would have understand that to have mean that anyone who wasn't a Jew. Back in those times, you were either a Jew or not a Jew. For us in 2023, when we think of people from all nations, that means whatever their religion, whatever their gender, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their language, whatever their people group. A guy called Darren, he's our regional leader for, uh, for the Middle East, and I interviewed him for one of our magazines. I was talking to him about faith and discipleship in the Arabian Peninsula. And he told me this. If someone comes to faith in the Arabian Peninsula, they are now saying, I'm going to share the rest of my life with you. Our workers are effectively inviting that person into their family because the new believer from the Arab world has effectively lost his own family. The likelihood is that they will at least be disowned by their, new fam by their old family, if not persecuted. As Darren says, you can't just say, I'll disciple you on Monday, because there is no such thing as discipleship on Monday. In the church in the West, we often think that church is on Sunday, house group is on Tuesday, and so on. And the rest of the life, the rest of our life may be no different to anybody else's. In the Arab world, it's completely different. It's life on life discipleship. It's an incredible command, this one of Jesus, to bring all nations into discipleship. We are all called to be disciples of Jesus. How do we make disciples of Jesus? By going. By going. In the Old Testament, there was a lot of, come to Jerusalem, come to the temple. I hope we still do things like that and invite people to come to church. But Jesus wants us to go. To go to the nations, to go to the people, to go, to the, to go and cross borders, to cross ethnic boundaries, to cross generational boundaries, to cross society, social barriers, to cross class barriers, to cross the street. We live in a very mobile age. Very easy to travel, not necessarily cheap, but it's easy. But at the same time, there are millions of refugees who have fled their homes due to persecution or political upheaval or war. So God has brought some of those people to our shores. I've heard some people suggest that God has been doing that because we have not been fulfilling the Great Commission. For us, we've got several teams who are working amongst refugees around the UK. The thought used to be that as far as mission was concerned, it was the West to the rest. But Christianity was not surprisingly seen as a Western religion. Now it's far more everywhere, everywhere. 
For us as an agency, worldwide agency, we've got more than 3,000 workers currently serving in more than 80 countries from more than 90 countries, which to me is hugely exciting. And our teams are often made up of people from a wide variety of different countries. So go and make disciples. Then Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's this Trinitarian baptism. The three persons of the Trinity equally to be worshipped, to be loved, to be served. Baptism is important, isn't it? The baptistry here in the corner. But take the Arab world. It's of real significance when a believer from a Muslim background goes through the waters of baptism. Let me tell you a story. A guy by the name Nazan. These are never real names, but they're true stories. Nazan got in touch with us through our media ministry. And he spent some time talking to our responder. Then he said, can I meet someone in country, please? I want to meet someone in the place where I live. I want to meet them face to face. The media team put him in touch with a guy, we'll call him Solomon, one of our workers. They met. Solomon started answering Nazan's questions about Christianity and about the Bible, and they studied the Bible together. Nazan's eyes were open to the truth of the gospel, and these were the words he said. I don't believe in Islam anymore. Now what can I do to become a follower of Jesus? He was led to the Lord. Probably in a coffee shop, that's where often these meetings take place. And Nazan said to Solomon, can I get baptized? Solomon was absolutely thrilled, but Nazan had one condition for his baptism. This is rare. This doesn't usually happen. This was a shock. And this is what he said. I want to be baptized in the presence of my Muslim friend. <sighs> really? Solomon said to Nazan, are you sure? Are you comfortable with that? If you don't mind, I don't mind. But do you trust him? Or will, you, will he report you to the, the authorities? What did Nazan say? These were, these were his words. I don't really know. But I feel the urgency to be baptized in his presence. The advice from us would always be, no, no. But he did. Solomon baptized Nazan. Afterwards, Solomon gave some literature, some Christian literature, to Hamd, his friend. He said, Hamd, said to Hamd, I really encourage you to read, these, read this stuff. And if you've got any questions, come back to me. Hamd said, I'm a Muslim. I don't want to read those, that stuff. I'll take it. A week. Later, Hamd called Solomon. He'd started reading that stuff that he'd been given, and he wanted to meet up with Solomon because he had some questions. So they began meeting. Bit by bit, week by week, it wasn't just one meeting, Hamd began to understand the Christian faith. Then came the question. What can I do to become a follower of Jesus? And then there was the next question. You can get it. 
Can I be baptized in the presence of my Muslim friend? His friend's called Bilal. So, Hamd was baptized by Solomon. Nazan was probably there as well. And Solomon gave exactly those same books onto his friend Bilal. But Bilal said, I'm a Muslim, I don't want to read that stuff. But he still took it. And sure enough, a few weeks later, and no Bilal wasn't it now, Bilal contacted Solomon and said, Can we meet? But do the same thing. And Bilal has also come to faith in Jesus. There wasn't that same caveat at the end, I want to be baptized in the presence of my Muslim friend. But you know, how exciting is that? That happened earlier this year. Then scripture says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The call of disciples is to follow Jesus' teaching and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As demonstrated with Nazan, Hamd, and Bilal. You've got the three activities there, haven't you? You've got Solomon was sent, then he baptized, and then he taught them with the literature and meeting them face to face. How exciting is that? It's happening. God is at work in the Arab world. Then you've got this promise, haven't you? This fantastic promises that we do not go alone. In Acts 1, that Jesus ascends into heaven. And he will be with us forever. When he was on earth in his ministry, he could only be in one place at one time. But now he's everywhere by his spirit. He continues his life and ministry through each one of us and through his church. That's another wow moment. He is, though. Great stories. What do we do with it? What does it mean to me? Does it mean anything to me? Great Commission is a command. It's an order. It's not a suggestion. One writer put it this way, if I am his, if I am his disciple, I am commanded to go and make disciples of others. On the other hand, if I am not making disciples of others, then I am not being the disciple God wants me to be. How? As I said earlier, often we've made the Great Commission to go and make Christians. It doesn't say that. It says go and make disciples. For the first disciples, their first task was to go back to Jerusalem, to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when he came, you had Pentecost. That's Acts 2. And then they go, and the world was changed. And tell you what, if those disciples had not gone, we would not be here. We would not be here. God could choose any way that he wants to reach the world. But he chooses to do it through us. What are we doing? But we don't do it alone because God is with us. God is at work. He works through us. 
What we want to do as an agency is to work with you, to work with God. We try to find out where God is already at work and join in. There's no point in us doing our own thing. We want to find what God is doing and join in with what he's doing. But you and me, tell you what, aren't we fearful? We're often fearful. But the text tells us we've got his authority. And he's with us. What more do we need? It's also said that the phrase, do not fear, or do not be afraid, is in Scripture 365 times. How significant is that? One for every day of the year. Hopefully there's a 366 where we have a leap. Jesus said, therefore, because he's got authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Are we ready to go? Our mandate is to go. There is so much more that we could say. Just scratch the surface. We engage in global, global mission out of a position of weakness and vulnerability. We can do our part. Are you doing your part? We trust God to do what only he can do in his way, in his time. 